We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Alexis Madrigal. The fact that Silicon Valley companies are consolidating power over our lives on a scale and at a pace that's head spinning is probably not a surprise to you. But a growing number of researchers and union organizers aren't you something that just might throw you for a loop? That artificial intelligence development is creating a global underclass of human ghost workers hiding in plain sight because most of us don't see the connections between their underpaid, over-surveilled work lives and artificial intelligence. We'll talk about it after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Alexis Madrigal. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is all the rage in Silicon Valley, has been for years now. But many of the companies that boast their AI first also depend heavily on gig workers like delivery drivers and content moderators. In some cases, startups actually hire people to impersonate AI-run chatbots. What is going on, and what, if anything, should the rest of us be doing about it? We talked today with a couple people who have some strong opinions to share. Timnit Gabru, a researcher who has faced retaliation infamously from Google for uncovering and communicating the harms of AI systems. Timnit, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And of course, Adrian Williams, a former Amazon delivery driver and union organizer here today to talk about the sharp end of the AI stick. Adrian, thank you so much for being here. Hi, thank you for having me too. Why don't we start with uh, Tim Neat. Can can you give us a couple of quick and easy examples of of, uh, this phenomenon? The, The idea that, you know, what appears to be uh, something clean, you know, developed by people in what white lab coats, you know, in an air-conditioned uh, lab somewhere in Silicon Valley, actually uh, involves a lot of people who are underpaid and over-surveilled. 
Sure. So when we hear about the wonders of artificial intelligence, you know, we're talking about self-driving cars or um, you, when you have, uh, you know, you can take pictures on your phone and maybe um, your phone recognizes who is who in the photos and, you know, what the objects are. We're not thinking about how that sausage was made, right? We're only seeing the final product. Um, but this depends on piles and piles of data that often are labeled by people in vulnerable situations, right? They're not getting the six-figure salaries that um, we hear about in Silicon Valley. Um, and, uh, and many times, they're themselves um, supplying the data, right? Um, you have these models that are trained on lots of labeled data. And so these people are not only labeling that data, but many times also supplying the data. Um, maybe they'll take pictures of their surroundings and label what's in those pictures to enable uh, researchers to then train these models that end up being um, in our phones or other products. I, I guess I have seen it most as a reporter covering things like content moderation, where really every major social uh, media platform these days, except possibly Twitter very soon, has some form of content moderation strategy in place. And it's it seems, though, like more more of a combo. You have the software, which, you know, tends to work not as well as, as advertised. And then you have tens of thousands, really hundreds of thousands of people, many of them working overseas, uh, who have to, I, I guess, you know, take a look at what AI has flagged uh, and presumably add into the data sets that, that inform that AI. And often, the, you know, their, their short careers in content moderation feature terrible pay, no labor protections, and, of course, horrendous material that's psychologically damaging. Absolutely. And so many times, um, anything, anything horrible that we don't watch, content moderators have watched, right? And they are the ones who are left with the horrible content that, um, that the rest of us don't get to see. And so they're kind of frontline workers um, in keeping the internet safe. And um, they often watch violent videos, um, horrible hate speech. They have PTSD. There, there's been lots of research showing um, their conditions, um, horrible pay. And uh, not only do they flag these this content so that the rest of us don't have to watch it, that also is used as training data so that you can create automated systems that are able to do that in the future, right? So they're both... Um, keeping the internet safe right now and supplying uh, data that is used to train automated models. Adrian, tell us about your uh, brief career as an Amazon delivery driver and and then union organizer. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I only worked as a driver for about eight months. It was before COVID and then right as COVID took off. And in terms of AI, I think the the biggest thing for me that was noticed right away, and this was before I really had a knowledge of what AI did or how it was created or how machine learning was trained. The biggest thing for me was the apps that you had, it was mandatory to use, and they would basically tell you at the end of every route all the mistakes you had made. But the problem with that is that, let's say you're swerving out of the way because somebody's pet or their kid runs into the street, that that app isn't there to see that there was actually a reason for that maneuver. And so then you get hit with these 
infractions that then you have to do this homework on after hours. And so it becomes this big thing of like unpaid labor and feeling like you're getting in trouble for things that I, the parent of the kid who you didn't hit, I'm sure is very happy that you made that decision, but you still get in trouble for it. Um, and so yeah. that's kind of what spurred the organizing, just seeing like the intense surveillance, the wage theft that's brought about from the surveillance, um, the lack of, you know, safety regulations and the straight up just breaking up laws. You know, there's OSHA regulations about heat safety. They don't care. There's regulations about um, other kind of safety issues. They just, you know, Amazon's kind of attitude is like, yeah, this is illegal, but you're small and I'm big. So get a lawyer to sue me. And I guess, you know, it, it's worth saying sort of like uh, the consumer experiences, whether it's, you know, uh, trying to lodge a complaint with Facebook or Amazon, the the worker trying to lodge a complaint with these Silicon Valley companies, uh, you know, typically finds that uh, it's it's hard to get a hold of a human who will hear out your concern. Uh, there's a desire uh, from you know, uh, there's a desire from management essentially uh, to to have software deal with it. Absolutely, I know. At the end of our routes, they would ask on your phone, on the little the, one of the apps, it would say like, how was the route today? Were there any problems? And for at first I would always type in, yeah, this happened, that happened, this happened, that happened. But you realize quickly that that's going into like this void and nothing ever gets changed. Nobody ever checks in with you to see like, hey, what what's up with that? What happened? So that is kind of their solution is like, tell the computer, tell your phone. That doesn't help. Timney, you, you, you've written this type of solidarity between highly paid tech workers and their lower paid counterparts, or rather I should just say solidarity between uh, the high and the low in Silicon Valley, uh, is a tech CEO's nightmare. Um, I can imagine a, a tech CEO saying, like it or lump it, I don't answer to my employees, whether they're highly paid software engineers or uh, the gig workers uh, on, on the bottom end of this layer cake. Uh, you know, I, I answer to Wall Street. Well, but when all of those people uh, unite and completely shut down their internet, you know, their services so that they don't work, um, they can't even answer to Wall Street, right? So they can say that, but um, the people who run the engines, the people who get them, who make them money, are these workers. The, the, the power is truly in the hand of these workers. And they know that. So that's why they try to isolate you uh, from each other, right? Um, Adrian has a lot of experience in this. Um, we even give an example um, of one in um, our article um, based on her experience, right, where they um, kind of, they don't really retaliate as much uh, on the highly paid workers until they see the solidarity with low, lower paid workers. And that's really what scares them. And many times, even among workers, um, they don't want you to talk to each other, right? So we see what started happening at Apple once they started having a Slack, um, a Slack that um, people at Apple could use. And when, you know, our um, former, our colleagues and my friends uh, got fired for and uh, pushed out for um, asking about pay transparency in one of the Slack channels, because they know this is how you build solidarity. You don't feel like you're in a, an isolated incident 
Um, so you kind of work together with your coworkers, and this is really what builds power. And they know that, right? And they know that, so that's why they try to isolate each of us from uh, from each other. We're talking uh, in large part today uh, because of uh, an op-ed, an editorial uh, that the two of you uh, participated in writing. Uh, you know, posted on uh, Noe. Uh, Oh, I'm forgetting the name of it. Noema. Noema Magazine, yes. Um, entitled The Exploited Labor Behind Artificial Intelligence. And, you know, I urge listeners to, to read the article. Perhaps after this conversation, we've got the link posted uh, on our website at KQED Forum. Uh, Adrian, you know, Tim Need is talking about the, the pushback we've seen from tech companies um, against people who are trying to organize, who are trying to... Um, argue for, you know, a, a human-centric approach to employment. Um, wh- what do you make of, of the difficulties that so many workers have had at Amazon and elsewhere trying to unionize? Um, I mean, I'm not surprised by them. I feel like it's kind of the company's model, right? So it's kind of back to what Tim Neat was saying about the high-wage workers and the low-wage workers the high wage workers at the very least have these you know specific set of skills so that if they're fired by AWS they can go work for Meta if they're fired by Meta they can go work for Google and there's a very small pool um in which you can get these high wage workers but the low wage workers the attitude is kind of like you're dispensable and you're disposable so when you try to push back not only are you ignored but then if you start to gain some steam you're intimidated. I've spoken to more, you know, I've spoken to a few workers who said that they've had people show up at their homes. They've had people follow them in parks. They've been intimidated in different ways by these major companies. Um, I know myself, I was shown a text exchange um, from my boss, my DSP boss, because drivers don't technically work for Amazon in which Amazon Legal was sending him pictures of me, saying, like, we need more personal information on this person. Oh, yoy, yoy. We are talking about the hidden underclass behind artificial intelligence with two people calling for reforms, Adrian Williams and Timnit Gabru. Uh, what, what are your experiences that you want to share with us, whether you work in Silicon Valley or feel like you work for Silicon Valley under the dictates of its software? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. But whatever you do, stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Alexis Madrigal, talking today with a couple of Silicon Valley rabble-rousers. Tim Neat Gabru, a researcher who has faced retaliation for uncovering and communicating the harms of AI systems. And Adrian Williams, a former Amazon delivery driver and union organizer. Uh, whether you work in Silicon Valley or you're just kind of watching uh, with concern from the sidelines, give us a call at 866-7336. Seven eight six. That's eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. We are, of course, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum, and uh, you can email us as well. Forum at kqed.org. Adrian, uh, when we left for the break, we were talking about um, the the old ways, the surprisingly old ways that uh, big tech companies. Um, try to quash union organizing, but also new ways. There's a way in which I think, you know, even people who are uh, at at fairly high levels in companies uh, feel like they're being watched all the time. Yeah, I mean, they probably are. That's that's the scary thing about our society now. And, you know, your, your cell phone tracks you all the time. A lot of these apps track you all the time. And these tech companies have like the golden key to all the back doors of all that. And so I'm sure they are being watched all the time. Um, it's kind of scary. And I always say that like, I feel like there's a privilege in even being able to fight. So when I think of like content moderators in Syria or Kenya who are paid pennies on the, you know, on the dollar, there's no way you can fight when you have that. So even me, when I was starting to fight back, I felt like, okay, at the very least, I have a mom with a four-bedroom house who will say, you can come back here if you need to. A lot of my colleagues didn't have that. So when you have a multi-billion dollar multinational company telling you, like, we will ruin you, it's scary when you have no safety net. And all the employees know it. Tim Need, I, I, I don't think many people outside of tech uh, realize what Adrian is talking about, just how many people... Uh, who work in this uh, nebulous universe, uh, work in countries far, far away from the U.S., Venezuela, Bulgaria, Syria, and so on. That's true. I mean, um, there are people inside and outside the U.S., right? And the um, common, the similarity between all of them is that they are made to be invulnerable um, conditions so that they can't fight back, like Adrian said, right? So many of them are not full-time workers with benefits. Uh, many of them are contractors, uh, contracted through third-party uh, companies. So, for example, there was a Time magazine article on content moderators that were working for Meta, but they weren't hired by Meta, right? They were hired by an, a company called Sama um, in Kenya. So this is this is a well-known tactic where um, the corporations are offloading responsibility to another, a third-party contractor. And um, these employees are not full-time employees, so they don't get benefits, and um, the pay is not the same. They don't get um, as much vacation time, and they can be disposed of very fast. Um, so 
the the similarity between all of these people in very in different places that are hired, whether it's inside the U.S. or outside, is that they're put in vulnerable conditions so that they cannot fight back, so that they don't have the kind of um, power that Adrian was talking about in order to fight back. Because it does take a lot of energy and power, even for me, even for my case. I was pretty terrified when uh, taking on a, a large multinational corporation, right? But I was able to take that risk, whereas many people can't. You mentioned something, you know, key there. You're one of a number of people making noise from inside uh, the industry uh, that Google and, and really other companies as well uh, ejected unceremoniously. I'm not saying the companies are right, just that, you know, they, they don't want to hear it. Absolutely not. And and this is the thing, right? If you are on a course where you're consolidating power and you're making lots of money, how are you just going to be of your own volition leaving that course, right? We have to, we have um, institutions and agencies that were created exactly for that reason, to have uh, checks and balances on these multinational corporations. So we should expect those institutions to be well-staffed, well-funded, and do their jobs because you're not going to just cede power on your own, right? When you're seeing your competitors just uh, chugging along, um, you're just not going to make a decision to do something differently on your own. Well, we're getting calls in now, so I don't want to waste any more time uh, hogging the questions. Why don't we turn now to William in Redwood City? Hi, William. Hello there. Hi. Um, so my comment is that this is a much bigger issue than just artificial intelligence and the tech industry in uh, the Valley here. Um, this is a labor issue that goes back, you know, well into the 19th century of labor unions and the public attitudes to labor unions and the government's attitude that labor unions are right now not looked on very favorably. Everybody has their favorite story about how people who are, you know, unionized, just sit around and don't do much. And the salaried employees at companies um, look disfavorably in general on the uh, union employees. And unless we can change people's attitudes on labor unions, it's always going to be not just an uphill battle to unionize and to organize at places like Amazon or Starbucks or any of these um, new companies, relatively new companies, is going to be a monumental task to scale, you know, a vertical cliff. And I don't know yeah. how to do this, um, but it's, um, it's a much larger issue. Thank and you so, so much for those comments. Uh, kudos William. to the people who are yeah. fighting this. Um, I have great respect for them and great respect for the benefits of labor unions. So um, good yeah. luck. Thank you. Thank you, William. Um, you, you know, Timnit, we, we have seen uh, lots of evidence of uh, people, certainly on the, on the lower end of the economic pay scale uh, here in the U.S. and indeed elsewhere, like in Europe, uh, organizing. 
not so much in in the middle zone, the middle, uh, both in terms of, you know, uh, reasonably well-paid software engineers and their managers. I think this is um, definitely an age-old problem, like the uh, caller mentioned, and that was kind of the, um, the point that we were trying to make in the article is that um, while when we see talk of artificial intelligence on in the media and in pop culture and many people's understanding of this um, these things doesn't come from reality right it mostly come from uh, portrayals and pop culture that makes it look like it's a new problem we have terminator kind of scenarios but we need to focus on the age-old problems that we have that are manifesting themselves um, in this new um, technology. And um, so this kind of um, trying to have solidarity between higher page uh, cross-class solidarity is an age-old problem, right? There are uh, people who see themselves or who are kind of brainwashed to see themselves as part of the establishment, as as part of the management, rather than um, workers. Um, And so this is kind of an, an, an old old problem that people have written about. So I think that we need to look at, um, you know, how others uh, before us organized and um, were able to have class, class, class solidarity. Um, and so it's, I totally agree that this is a larger problem and an age-old problem. Let's take another caller now, Kevin in San Francisco. Hi, Kevin. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, I was fed, uh, good morning. I was fed because my father, I, I know this is supposed to be in a, a conversation about artificial intelligence, but I had a house as a kid and I ate as a kid because my father was in a thing called the Musicians Union, which is largely dead. But there was this time in America, I think it was 1941, where the Musicians Union was so powerful that no recordings were made in the middle of a war that they said, look, we're not going to pay your opinions off, et cetera. So I hear you both. You're both very intelligent people who have lots of work experience, and you don't seem to understand the primacy of what the previous caller said, which is unionizing. And also, if you're waiting for the unions to help you, forget it. The unions are so lame right now that they couldn't convince people already working at Amazon in a couple of cases to unionize. In other words, they should have just said, would you like to make twice as much money? Like my brother-in-law at UPS does because he works for UPS instead of FedEx. FedEx is not union. UPS is union. My brother-in-law retires next year and gets a 70% pension, not because UPS is nice, not because they want to, but because of the power of his union, which, by the way, he votes against, but that's another story. So I really want to hear from the two of you what you're going to do to start a union for these tech workers, of which you were one, that's going to change the world and make it a better place for you and give you a living wage in the most expensive area in North America. <laughs> All right. Kevin has thrown the gauntlet down. A- Adrian, do, do you want to start tackling that question? Um, sure. I mean, I don't think it's that we haven't considered unions. That's, you know, what I started off trying to do in um, the Bay Area. It's more, to me, the fact that the laws are so shifted to one side that supports big business that when you try to do any kind of organizing there is no protections against you and you can't get anywhere so for instance if the governments would just adhere to the laws that are already in place i always hear about oh we need new policies new policies there are laws already in place that says union busting is illegal yet nobody cracks down on that the way in which the dsp um the delivery service providers who are the small business owners 
the way in which that is structured is illegal because the way that in order to be an independent contractor, you have to be able to work for more than one entity. You have to be able to make decisions based on your own company. And DSPs for Amazon only deliver for Amazon. Amazon is in charge of most of their hiring and firing. DSPs have no control over surveillance. So my issue is that this idea of like, just get out there and make a union. Well, it would be easy if they get the corporations off our backs, but the corporations are allowed to pretty much do anything to detour us and scare us from organizing or even speaking up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I wanted to say that um, both of us have definitely been involved and helped um, create uh, organizers and even um, people unionize. So for example, after I got fired from Google, um, the first, uh, the Alphabet Union um, Workers Union came out publicly, right? And we give a number of examples in our articles as well. But, um, and, you know, a lot of our friends and colleagues have been unionizing and helping people unionize. And in the back end, we've been helping with that too. But the odds are stacked up against doing that, right? So these age-old problems that we were talking about, like union busting is an age-old problem, they're currently happening. And um, they're not really being talked about within the context of AI. When we hear about AI, it's generally these Terminator scenarios or people thinking that chatbots are sentient, etc. It's not discussed as a labor issue. So what we're trying to do is have that conversation, um, start that conversation and make sure that the media also discusses it as a labor issue. A listener tweets, AI is being used for monetary purposes, and guess who gets to develop AI? The billionaires. I really hope that they don't purposefully push out ethical thinkers from getting in on the development of this important technology. And yet, of course, we're talking with Tim Neat Gabru, who was <laughs> exactly <laughs> urging for ethical thinking and pushed out. Um, you know, you have often talked, uh, Tim Neat, about the, the need to to consciously think of developing AI, uh, you know, for the public interest, uh, out, of, out of concern for how this plays out on the human level. Uh, but that's not how it's happening. It's happening through private companies that are designed to make money for shareholders and the people in the boardroom. Uh, we don't get a do-over. So, so how do we change this narrative? I think that we have to remember that nothing is inevitable. We can change course, right? Um, so there was a, uh, there was a professor, Chris Gilliard, who said that when we found out that asbestos was bad, we talked about banning it, right? We didn't talk about oh, it's all it's everywhere now, so we can't do it. It's the way it's done now. We can't change course. So we have to think about how to change course. So right now, the way that this technology is being developed is either by multinational corporations whose sole interest is to have as much profit as possible, which is why they are interested in automating, right? Either to sell you more ads, more targeted ads, or to make more money for less labor. That is, that's basically, those are the two... Um, uh, reasons that they want to develop this technology. Or we have the other arm being the military because they're interested in automated warfare. So we have this race towards um, creating more and more horrible killing machines. And the thing is that we need a third alternative. We need an alternative that is that is not funded or based on those two 
uh, reasons for developing technology, and we and we can do that. If the public decides that that is what we need to do, we can do that. We can have more funding for it. We can have we can pressure our governments to do these things, right? And we can um, make sure that the agencies that are that were created to have balances, put checks and balances on these multinational corporations actually are well-staffed and can do their jobs. Let's take another call now. Brian from Woodside. Hi, Brian. Uh, Good morning. I just want to say, you know, these uh, artificial intelligence and these companies and regulators, you know, they they, um, are like from another planet. I I was a Lyft and Uber driver for a while, and, you know, they had this share program where, you know, if you wanted to share your ride, you could save a little bit of money, and the algorithm would just, you know, tell the rider to go to a location for pickup, which was supposed to be, you know, on my route, but it didn't take into consideration it was like a, you know, major highway or some, you know, completely unsafe pickup location with no place to pull over. And this person would be sitting there with their luggage waiting for me to stop on this, you know, super busy highway or, you know, roadway. And, you know, they did, the algorithm didn't give them the ability to move it. So that was a safe, you know, pickup location. It didn't give me the ability to, you know, ask the rider to, to, to go someplace where I can actually pull off. And, you know, I, I was so frustrated with it because if you <clears throat> denied the ride, you know, it counts against you. And so I reached out to all these different public officials, you know, the highway patrol, uh, senators and, you know, congresspeople. And nobody knew who was actually supposed to regulate that or stop it. You know, and you could basically, you know, you'd see how a whole car full of people would be killed because of this stupid algorithm that nobody had control over, you know, and it's just like, it was so frustrating. I just, I just stopped. I just stopped taking sure rides. And I, you know, people were, you know, just, you know, <laughs> we'd be trying to pick someone up and everybody's looking behind like, Oh my God, are we going to get slammed into the back? And, or I have to, you know, go another block and ask the, the, the rider to, you know, walk down. So, you know, everybody in the car gets upset. And so they give you a bad rating. It was just ridiculous, but it was, it was even more ridiculous. You know, if you go and post a little, you know, garage sale sign on a, on a, um, you know, a telephone pole, you know, you'll have a city official come out and give you a ticket because you're not supposed to post anything, but something like this, where people's lives are at risk, no public official can step in and say, stop. You Uh, you raise a really good question, Brian. Uh, One that, uh, you know, KQED News has covered uh, repeatedly, this question of the the, uh, lack of regulation or weak regulation or the inability to write new regulations that are tougher. Um, We are talking today on Forum with Timnit Gebru and Adrian Williams about their recent op-ed in Noema magazine detailing the exploited labor behind artificial intelligence and, and really the the lack of artificial intelligence written with the public good in mind. I know you have questions, whether you work in Silicon Valley or you feel like you work for Silicon Valley, like it or not. The number to call 866-733-6786, or you can email us at forum at kqed.org. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The handle is at KQED Forum. Whatever you do, stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro in for Alexis Madrigal. And today we are talking about uh, the uh, ethical quandaries uh, involving artificial intelligence and how it plays out, uh, uh, you know, in terms of labor. We're talking today with Timnit Gabru, a researcher uh, who has worked for many major Silicon Valley companies and, uh, you know, focuses a lot on ethical AI, as well as Adrian Williams, a former Amazon delivery driver and organizers. Uh, I got to tell you, this very, mor- uh, this very mor- morning, I got an email with a subject line I think you'll appreciate. Meet the creator of the first consumer AI free of inherent bias. Hmm. Um, Tim Neat, there is so much confusion in this space. I, I think a lot of people don't actually understand what we're talking about when we're talking about inherent bias. Um, yeah, I think that um, the first thing I would say is um, the fact that we talk about AI as this um, being on its own rather than an artifact or a tool that's built by people and deployed by people kind of confuses people because they think about it as, um, oh, well, like if you have this being and you put it in the world, who knows what it's going to do? Who knows what kind of biases it has, right? But if you think about it as an actual, as a product or a tool that's built by people with specific methodologies and deployed by people, then you can start to analyze the issues, the harms that it causes um, based on who the builders are and who the deployers are and who it's deployed on, right? So I think that's the first problem is that we don't um, analyze it that way. A listener writes, we're entering the new feudalism. Our info and privacy is being taken from us in all kinds of hidden ways. Just found uh, one on advanced settings on my Android phone keyboard. Remember, even Elon Musk has warned about the dangers of AI, and far too many of our legislators are far too tech illiterate. Uh, Also, uh, I might add, listener, possibly on the payroll (laughs) of some of these companies, or at least they're lobbyists, uh, amenable to to lobbying efforts. Um, Tim Neat, since this listener has gone ahead and mentioned Elon Musk, and I know we're all thinking about the fact that he's just uh, purchased Twitter and started to make some pretty major changes, I I do want to talk about the fact I've I've seen that you are, uh, like many people, thinking of uh, quitting the scene. uh, but I'm I'm wondering uh, why that is, and and whether you think you'll you'll really find a a better space for open conversation on uh, on another platform. 
I'm not really sure if I can quit, but I, I at least want to try out other alternatives and, um, you know, have, have a different uh, social media presence that doesn't depend on the whims of a billionaire um, that can control all the, the most one of the most powerful information information ecosystems and platforms that we have and um you know i i just think this is again goes back to the discussion about um building tech for the public good right um we have somebody who is we know how he's been using the platform. Um, we know how he he's been manipulating the platform even for his commercial benefit, right? It's this is not about a whole bunch of people making decisions that affect the entire world. We have one man who has more power than many nation states in the world, controlling now. A, a, a platform that has that can determine election outcomes and all sorts of other things. And so I want to figure out how we can have alternatives um, to this. You know, you say that, but I, I think, well, let's talk about the other social media platforms, right? Uh, Facebook, uh, a.k.a. Meta, is more or less under the Another control man. of one man. <laughs> yeah, one billionaire. Uh, you know, I, I guess uh, TikTok is not under the control of one individual, but, but a very uh, problematic uh, autocratic regime. Um, you know, it, 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 does, it does seem like so many of the most successful so- social media platforms uh, you know, are controlled at the top by very few individuals. Yeah, and that's that's a problem. That's why we need to work on alternatives, right? I I'm trying out Mastodon right now, and um, that's a nonprofit, but it's you know it's definitely not as polished as Twitter. It doesn't have the numbers, but there's uh, been a bunch of people migrating to that just to try it out. Um, and and this is the problem because power gets you more power. You have a whole bunch of money. Uh, you have access to billionaires. I've seen how. Uh, Silicon Valley works, right? I've seen how the venture capitalists work. There's two or three people who have full control over all of these companies. You know, you have you get introduced to one of them. They see you. You have dinner. They want to invest in you. They see themselves in yours, etc. It's not merit based. It's 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 network based. So power begets more power. And so if we want to disrupt that, what we need to do is we need to invest in alternatives. We need we need to invest in people. Who can who can innovate so that they can actually innovate? I don't see the state we're in right now as innovation because what's happening is that certain groups of people are taking us down this path, and other groups of people are spending their time fighting this path rather than um, implementing their alternative visions of the future. So what we need to do is we need to invest in alternative people and their alternative visions of the future, because otherwise, we're always going to be stuck in this cycle where we're cleaning up the messes of billionaires or a few people at the top. I have to say, one of the things I, I find it intriguing about so many of the new new ideas put forward by, by people leading companies, big and small, is that so consistently they return to this old, old idea, which is, you know, uh, this company, this app is going to be the, the new way that we reach out to advertisers, that we sell customer data to, to, um, to make money off of advertisers and appeal uh, to that particular subgroup uh, of society. Well, that's enough of me on a soapbox. Why don't we turn to the phones now and Corey in Fremont. Hi, Corey. Hi, how are you doing? Hi. 
I just wanted to bring up uh, the topic of consumption and how um, the whole point of developing technology is to help make life better for society. And we've come to this point where this AI and these advancements are really just made to make corporations and, and business owners more profitable. Um, and at the end of the day, if it continues to create this divide of income, you're not going to have consumers to with the means to purchase the products. And um, speaking of Elon Musk and Twitter, it's an interesting thing because Twitter can never be the public square. The public square, for one, doesn't exist to make a profit. And the public square is a place where people are held accountable for the things that they say because they are put on display. They can't go out, say a bunch of bigoted stuff behind a mask and not be held accountable. Timmy, you want to take that on? Um, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it it's really interesting. I was I got to talking to my mom one time and I said, you know, the goal of these corporations is basically to automate as much as possible so that they they make as much profit as possible with as little labor as possible because people are a nuisance, right, for them. And then at some point she was like, and so then at some, who would buy their product? Who's left to buy their products? And I said, yeah, that's that's um, some people, right, that that's going to be when the real revolution starts because the divide in um, class is going to get so deep that corporations are not going to have enough consumers to, to buy things. Maybe that's true, right? But we don't really want to get there. Let's take another call. Thank you so much, Corey. Mel in Berkeley. Hi, Mel. Good morning. Good morning. I I want to add the perspective of individualism in our society, and that is that everything is oriented to the fact that there should be one celebrity or one sports star or one person responsible for everything. And and that is the way things are accomplished. I work for the Berkeley Federation of Teachers, um, and uh, we constantly are emphasizing people working together, group solidarity. So all the callers out there that are listening to the show can contribute to this by constantly emphasizing to uh, everyone else that they come in contact with, and union organizers and Starbucks people. I'm constantly going to Starbucks and asking, are you organized yet? Are you doing this to encourage people to work together? That individualism is, of course, very significant, but it's also significant to have group solidarity to work together, which is um, uh, what we need to build better unions. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for those comments, Mel. Uh, you know, Adrian, I, I would love to ask you about something that I, I feel like I've observed as a reporter uh, covering unionization efforts, you know, at, at companies, uh, you know, uh, that that present themselves as tech companies and companies that don't. Um, it seems that you have a, a generation of younger, you know, millennial uh, Gen Zs who are are coming up with their own union organizing efforts, truly grassroots. Uh, but you know, it it makes me wonder where are the older union organizers, the people you know who come from fairly you know powerful and well financed unions. Uh, how are they engaging in this fight or not? I mean, my experience is that they're really not, and <laughs> it's it's hard to. It's hard to be like, I'm pro-union because I am, while at the same time recognizing that as I was trying to unionize, most of the dudes at the top from the big unions really didn't 
would just brush me off. They didn't want to hear it and they didn't care. And their response was kind of like, well, you only need a few people, go ahead. Or they'd give you these tactics when you're like, hey, at Amazon, the turnover is between six months to a year. The old tactics of one-on-ones and, you know, barbecues and all these things that take a long time to build relationships are not going to work. So let's put our heads together and figure out something else that can get people within four or five months. And then we can start this drive. They didn't want to hear it. They give you lectures on the olden days and how people would sacrifice their lives and all this BS. And it's like, okay, meanwhile, I'm a single mom and I'm not going to die for a union so that somebody else can have money 10 years from now. And now my child's an orphan. Like that's not plausible. And my experience working with Gig Workers Collective, working with um, Gig Workers United, working with people um, from Unite here, my experience is that it's mostly women doing the work. And something that was really disheartening to me when I first, first started was this realization that a lot of people are getting into even the organizing right now because they want to be that one solitary dude at the top that is like the savior to all. And so I agree with the other caller saying like, it's always collaborative. The only way we win is together. To have one dude at the top who is the savior to all is almost the same model as the corporations. Mm. Yeah. John writes, I take issue with the two callers' insistence that unions are the solution here. The baby boomer generation loves to hold up all the wonderful social good programs they benefited from and also destroyed in search for more wealth. Unions would be great, but power, as your guests highlight, is concentrated in a small few. This gets to your point, Adrian. And everyone else is fighting for crumbs. We need uh, the government to be funded and held accountable uh, to supporting the public good. Let's take another call, Caleb in Santa Clara. Hi, Caleb. Hi, can you hear me? Uh, I can. Hi, yeah, I was just uh, have a quick uh, question. Um, I was wondering if there's any consideration in how a lot of the companies that are developing and owning these um, technologies are based in California and the unique power they have in California to... Uh, past Proposition ballot initiatives, like we saw with Proposition 22 in uh, 2020. I think, um, yeah, both of us, maybe both Adrian and I could um, comment on this because that's a that's a good point. Uh, many of these um, companies are based out of California, but they have um, far-reaching <laughs> worldwide impacts, right? And many times, actually, people in many other countries that these companies affect can't um, get them to respond to any of their concerns. But um, at the same time, we can take advantage of state legislature um, to to have passed some uh, regulations. So our friend um, Ifioma Ozoma worked really, really hard after her retaliation to um, work on the Silence No More Act, which was passed last year, first passed in California and then in Washington state, right? And this um, uh, act not only affects tech workers, but also all workers, right? So we can definitely take advantage of our state legislature and even city uh, legislature. So for example, San Francisco, Oakland, they were one of the first, if not the first cities in the country to ban um, certain uses uh, of um, face recognition um, systems. So we, we can definitely take advantage of our local legislators to, to lead in regulation. 
And it's it's worth noting, uh, Caleb, that that another law just uh, that just rolled out this year, uh, you know, prohibits the use of uh, algorithmic uh, work quotas, uh, for instance, at Amazon warehouses. Um, you know, that would uh, essentially pressure workers to give up things like state mandated bathroom breaks because they're trying to, you know, deliver more, 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 faster, faster, faster. Um, and at, at least early reporting seems to indicate that the law is having some kind of an impact and as a result might be might be something we see rolled out in other states. But but I'm wondering if, if you can speak, uh, either one of you, uh, to the fact that there appears to be, you know, legislative and regulatory gridlock at the federal level in particular. Yeah, I mean, when you have a company like Amazon who has more lobbyists than we have members in Congress, it's really hard to get anything done that's going to hurt them. And <clears throat> Congress people know that those are the companies that help fund, or not even Congress, just politicians know those are the people that help fund their campaigns. Those are the people that get high profile, you know, looks at those people. And so there's this weird, um, you know, relationship between politicians and big business that always leaves the little person out. Let's take, I think, one last call <laughs> before the hour is up. Brian in Mountain View. Hi. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? Well, I wanted to just bring up a point. Um, machines are supposed to help people, supposed to make your life better. And uh, the Amish discovered a couple hundred years ago that, you know, you got to get control of the machines. you got to put, you got to decide, are these improvements making your life better? Maybe they're not. <laughs> well said, Brian. Uh, any last words, uh, Team Neat, as, as we round to a close here? I actually think that was a great uh, last <laughs> call because that's that's basically what it is, is that we as a society need to decide what kind of technology we want and what kind of technology we don't want. And we need to have systems in place to get rid of the technology we don't want when we see that it's harmful, right? Um, right now, it's when we have oligarchies, it's, it's really difficult to do that. So in my opinion, you know, uh, the AI problem is a society problem. It's not really a technological, uh, just a purely technical problem. It's a, society, it's a societal issue. So we need to think about it as such. Well, what a pleasure talking with you both. We've been talking about the hidden underclass behind artificial intelligence with two people calling loudly for reforms. Timnit Gabru, a researcher who has faced retaliation for uncovering and communicating the harms of AI systems, and Adrian Williams, a former Amazon delivery driver and union organizer. Uh, be sure to check out the link to their latest op-ed uh, at KQED Forum's webpage. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm Rachel Myro, and stay tuned for more Forum with Mina Kim.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.